Amen. Well, good morning. Glad you're here this morning on this uh, day where we got an extra hour of sleep. Uh, if you're anything like me, you forgot. And at 4 o'clock, you rolled over and looked at the clock, and it was different than the clock on your phone. And yes, an extra hour. So, um, <laughs> so we were watching a movie the other day, and I was reminded why it was so much better to be a kid 20 years ago than now. Uh, it was a movie from the 80s, and mom and dad are driving along, and there's this kid, you know, 10-year-old kid or whatever, from the back seat just leaning over. You know, no seatbelt, no nothing. Back then, so kids, it used to be a lot more fun to be a kid. Uh, we didn't have helmets. Uh, we were allowed to do basically whatever you wanted. You could ride on the top of cars, maybe not quite that much. But a swimming pool is a good example. When I was a kid, what did we want to do in the swimming pool? Chicken fights, jumping off each other's shoulders, diving. Now you go to a swimming pool, and what's the first thing you see? This giant poster, no, basically everything that's fun. You know, don't do all these things. Um, and I, I bring that up to think, sometimes I think the Christian world is viewed that way. That, that rather than being, uh, you know, what we're about and what we're for, it's kind of like this big list of, of no's. You know, you become a Christian, and now you don't get to do anything fun anymore, uh, when in reality... It's just the opposite. You know, we enter this Christian life and there's an adventure, but then there is this list of, of do's and don'ts. There is uh, a morality guideline, you could say, given to us. You look in the Old Testament, you see the Ten Commandments. You look in the New Testament and you see Jesus kind of reiterate some of those and then make them even harder. But we come to faith in Jesus Christ not because of uh, anything we do. You know, one of the great benefits of the Christian faith is that it's not about works. That's what Jesus came to do was, was took away the law and he gave us freedom. And because we're not made right by law, we're made right by Jesus. Now we're free, but we can tend to go, now we're free to do whatever we want. And sometimes churches go that way, throw out the idea of sin or, or any morality. Or we can go too far the other way. Now that we're, we're Jesus people, we're God's people, we're church people, now we have this stodgy list of do's and don'ts, and sometimes we try and press those on the rest of the world, which doesn't really work very well because they don't have Jesus Christ. And so we try and make others behave, but yet maybe we're not doing it. So how do we deal with this whole morality? You know, how do we deal with, with the rules that we're given in Scripture? Uh, we're going to see that today. Paul is going to talk about some of those. And I think it's important, turn to Ephesians if you would, that's where we're going to be. I think it's important to get a right understanding of morality. You know, we come to faith in Jesus, not because we're being good. You know, some people will, will say, I can't come to church yet because I'm not good enough. I need to get my act together. It's like, no, that's not the way. Come to God just as you are and he'll accept you just as you are. And then he'll clean you up. He'll work on some of those things. Uh, but there is morality. Uh, Ephesians 2, we're going to be in Ephesians 4. But Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, I think lays this out really well. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. So we're saved by faith in Jesus alone. We're forgiven because of his blood on the cross alone. But once we're saved, now God wants to do some things in us. You know, in 2 Corinthians, we see that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And so there are these lists of, of rules, of things, of, of do's and don'ts in Scripture 
but we need to view them correctly. And when we view them correctly, they're, they're not a hindrance. They're not stodgy. They're actually freeing. They're life-giving. Again, as citizens of, of heaven, as Jesus followers, as new people in Christ, we exchange our old life for our new life. And that's what we looked at last week. You know, after looking at the first three chapters of Ephesians, where there's no commands, it's all about what God has done for you, who Jesus is, who you are in him, all these blessings, then it moves to chapter 4, where he begins, you know, therefore, because of all these things, 4 verse 1, walk worthy. So all these things are true about you, now live like it, walk worthy. And last week, we looked at uh, verses 22 to 24, and I'm going to read those real quick. It says... Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So now that we're saved, now that we belong to Jesus, now we do good works that he's prepared beforehand, and how do we do it? We put off our old self, we put on our new self. We talked about this some last week, this is the process of sanctification, Justification, these are these theological terms, justification means you are made right with God because of Jesus. That happens the immediate, immediately when you're saved, you are justified, made right before God. True, in the past, whenever it happened. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, you are not justified, you are not right with God. All you have to do is by faith accept Jesus as Lord, believe he died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now you would be justified, made right with God. Now, once we're justified, do we immediately become perfect? No. Then we enter this process called sanctification, whereby God in us, through the Holy Spirit who seals us, makes us more and more like Jesus. We saw that last week. Makes us more and more, we love what he loves. We hopefully hate what he hates. We become more like Christ, Christ but it's a, a process. That's why it's called a sanctification process. But to understand it rightly, it's a partnership. God does it. He does it in us and through, and through us. He does it to us, but we have to participate. We really have to just submit to it and let him change us. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we, are, we become doers, not just hearers. It's not just religion, but we come to know Christ and he changes us. When a Jesus follower lives as the new person they are, they live in a God-honoring way. Something changes. And so we're going to look at some of those changes today. In Ephesians 4, Paul is going to get into some real practical examples of what the exchanged life looks like. And I think it's interesting. You know, some people will say, let go and let God. You know, the Holy Spirit does all the work in you, which is actually true. But then why does Paul go into these details of what the new life looks like? Well, because we don't immediately know it. And we have this tendency to go back and walk like the old man. So we need to be told, if you're new to the faith, you may hear some of this stuff today and go, that's new to me. I didn't know that. And if you belong to Christ, your heart response is, I want to walk in a way that glorifies him. Renew your minds is what we saw last week. That's how we start to, to give in to sanctification. This process is we let our minds be changed by Jesus. We come to him moldable, ready to say yes to what he's going to change. So I would ask you this morning, if you haven't arrived yet, and by the way, none of us have arrived until Jesus comes back or we go to be with him, we're still in process. Open yourself up this morning. Some of these things may resonate with you. 
You may look straight ahead because it may come up and, and your spouse wants to elbow you and don't do any of that. You know, you may want to look at somebody and point, don't do any of that. But you, open yourself up. Let the Holy Spirit teach you this morning, show you, is there an area that's out of line? If so, the point isn't guilt. The point is turn to Jesus, admit it, repent, submit to him, and let him change you. Amen. This passage is going to give us really three ways that our lives look different when we walk in Christ. Let me read these. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that we're not saved, we're not made right with you by following these rules. But God, I do thank you that, that you, as the creator, God, you have given us the best way to live. And it's the best way for us. And so I ask this morning that we would submit to your will, that Holy Spirit, you would encourage us, convict us, uh, and then work in and through us to change us to be more like you. God, as we look at this, a lot of this is about the community, the church, about us in relationship with one another and in families. And I pray that, that it would have that effect on us, that it would increase our unity as a church and as families that we would be who you want us to be for one another so that we can be used by you to do what you want to do in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're not going to go verse by verse because he does, Paul kind of does what the book of Proverbs does. If you read through Proverbs, it's kind of interesting. He'll say something, then say something else, then repeat the first one, then the second, you know. And so you read through Proverbs and there will be a couple themes in a proverb. That's kind of what Paul does here. There's really three themes, three ways our lives change, and he talks about one, then another, then the first one again, then, so he skips around. So here's the first one, our speech. Here's the first thing that should change. One of the things that should change when we come to know Christ, it's our speech, and we see this in verse 25, 29, and 31. Look at verse 25 with me. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. You know, I appreciate what Paul does here. He doesn't just give us a list of don'ts. He says, stop doing this and instead do this. That's why we're titling this the exchange life. You're trading in, doing it this way for this way. And in each one, he gives us a reason. So he's not like uh, mom or dad who says, just do what I tell you to do. He actually gives us a reason. And here he, he begins with speak truth, put away falsehood, speak truth. And, and the why for we are members of one another. If you look forward, you'll see it also in verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion. And then again, you see it in 31. 
Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you. You know, slander, the way that we speak. This is in your notes. Rather than speaking lies and hurting others with their words, the new person in Christ is honest and graciously builds up others. This is, you know, our basic command. Stop telling lies. Stop slandering. Stop bashing one another. Stop coarse joking. uh, uh, Stop cussing. Those things. Instead, speak words that are building up, encouraging others. Think about those people that maybe you don't really like hanging out with, or you see them and you go the other way because whatever comes out of their mouth is constantly negative, you know, or or they want to talk about other people. And if you don't know any of those people, maybe you're that person. Um, But then think of the other person, those people who you want. See, when church is over, who do you gravitate toward? Who do you want to talk to? The one that's going to be encouraging. The the one that's maybe optimistic, has positive words for you. This exchange life as we speak differently. And why? Well, the first reason in verse 30, actually the first reason we see in verse 25 is because we are members of one another. But in verse 30, he says that it grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. I find that interesting because the, the truth is God doesn't need us, you know, and, and that my sin doesn't make God any less. My obedience doesn't make God any more, but yet my sin grieves the Holy Spirit, specifically what comes out of my mouth. And I think looking in context, all of this is about community. So when slander comes out of my mouth about another believer, that grieves the Holy Spirit. You know, when I, when I talk somebody down, when I get angry and lash out at somebody else, that grieves the Holy Spirit. That word grieve actually means pain because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We saw that before, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, meaning the moment you're saved, the Holy Spirit seals you, puts his stamp on you, comes to dwell in you. You become a temple of God. He dwells in you. And when you speak in a way that's not in line with him, it's, I mean, just picture the Holy Spirit in you going, Ugh, just this, this cringe, this pain, hurt. It's a relational hurt because our, our speech uh, is a bash against God. It's, it's this relational pain that we create. And specifically, he talks about lying. Why? Why lying? He says, because we're members of one another. Think about that. Think about a team. Maybe the place that you work, maybe your family, uh, maybe your church. Think about a team trying to accomplish something. What does that team need more than anything else? Trust, right? You need to be able to trust one another. The person that lies cannot be trusted. When you speak, can we trust what you're saying? Are you telling the truth? You know, why do people lie? Maybe to hide sin? It may, you want yourself to look better to people than you really are? Well, if you lie, if you do that, we don't know really what's going on. Your family doesn't really know. So how can we help you grow and get closer to Christ? We need to trust one another. Speak truth. And honestly, this one, as I started dwelling on this, you know what? This is easier than we might think, just to lie. You know, I walked into Walmart the other day, and there was somebody outside Hey, do you want to help support, you know, veterans? Well, of course I do, but n- uh, not right now. I gave it the office. You know, I didn't say that. But, but there's that, that initial excuse, right? Or somebody calls, hey, I need some help. I'm busy, you know, watching football. I mean, those little lies that we just put out there, we should be able to trust one another. Tell the truth. 
You know, you look at all these together, it talks about slandering, lying. You ever slander? Or, or do you speak the same to somebody's face as you do behind their back? I, I don't know where I heard that, but I heard it early on. You know, don't say anything behind somebody's back you wouldn't say to their face. But then also, don't say anything to somebody's face you wouldn't also say behind their back. You know, if you're just trying to build somebody up and manipulate with your words, but you wouldn't tell somebody else the same thing, just speak truth. Rather, build up. Build up. I love how he he goes from don't do this, but rather build up. Use words that are right for the moment. It's verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Give grace to those who hear. Build up and courage. Do you naturally go to the negative or do you naturally go to the positive? And when you think the positive, do you say it? This is one of those things that resonates with me. A lot of times I'll think positive things, but I won't say it. Or or I'll think something about something. I should call them and encourage them. Or they did something great. I appreciate it. And I'm too busy. Rather, let's take time to say those words. Words matter. As you look in the book of James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, spoke a lot about words. He says, the tongue is a fire. By with it, we could burn down a forest. You can destroy, but also you can build up great things when you use it rightly. You know, we're looking at relationships with one another here. And one of the things I think is helpful is assume the best and seek clarification. Right? Because when do these things happen? Often when we hurt one another. And we hurt one another a lot of times. It's just because of a miscommunication. We we read something wrong. Rather, assume the best and seek clarification. And that leads into the next one, the second one. So our words, how we speak should be different. Second, our temper. Anger should be different. The life of a believer looks very different than the life of a non-believer when it comes to anger. Verse 26 and 31. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then again in verse 31, he talks about it. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Anger. I want to clarify something, because I've heard this verse used fairly often to say, it's okay to be angry. It says here, be angry and do not sin. And that's true. This is one verse. If you go do a study and in your groups uh, this week, that's part of it. um, Make a list where it talks about, you'll you'll find this one, be angry and do not sin. You'll find 20 or more that say, don't be angry. You know, that that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. People refer, well, Jesus was angry. He sure was. And and when was that? When the temple was being desecrated. When when in Jesus' father's house, in God's house, they were using it to do business. And he got pretty ticked off. This verse right here is a direct direct quote from Psalms. And in that Psalm, it says, be angry and and do not sin. He's talking about anger. And the anger in that was anger about idolatry. So when is it okay to be angry? Be angry about sin. Be angry about idolatry, especially in your own life. But also uh, among us. It should make us angry, not at a person. But but anger is, is okay when it's in that sense of, of for, because of sin, 
because of unrighteousness. But if you're angry because you've been wronged, that's not righteous anger. That's not okay anger. Why are you angry? Most of the time, our anger is selfish anger. That's why later in this, in, in verse 31, he says, don't be angry. Do not be angry. Rather than giving vent to their anger, the new person in Christ is self-controlled and quickly seeks reconciliation with others. Jesus, in Matthew 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and a lot of Matthew 5 in this Sermon on the Mount, he's repeating uh, the commands of the Ten Commandments. But what he kind of does is he takes them and he makes them harder. And he says this, this is Jesus speaking, You've heard that it was said, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anger is dangerous. Now he's going to give us the reason why. Why? Because it gives a foothold to the devil, verse 27. Give no opportunity to the devil. Anger gives the devil an opportunity. Yikes. I like this quote. It says, anger is to be avoided at all costs, but if for whatever reason you do get angry, then refuse to indulge such anger so that you do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. The apostle John wrote, if anyone hate, claims to love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Our relationships matter. And so here, our anger gives a foothold, or literally this means a place, a space for the devil. The picture that comes to mind is of uh, tug-of-war. I don't know if you ever did that. When I was a kid at camp, we played tug-of-war on either side of a swimming, or not a swimming pool, but a puddle, a big muddy puddle. And it was great, so much fun, but this tug-of-war. But when you slip, you know, one, one of you slips, it's about strength, but it's also about grip. You slip on this side, the other side, they get to dig their feet in, get a foothold, and give a yank, and you go in the puddle. That's kind of this picture. As us as a church, as families, you know, we, are, we are carrying out this mission God has for us in community and to change the world, and the devil hates us. He's very real. We're going to see this at the end of Ephesians. He hates God. He hates us. He wants to bring us down, and he's, he's coming after us. And our anger gives him a foothold, a, a space. You know, I kind of thought of it here. Say our room was packed full. Uh, say we only had one service, and it's packed full. Uh, there's no space but anger. That would come between us is like somebody, you know, scooching over and giving a place. Devil, just come sit here in our midst. It gives Satan a chance to get in here. Arnold writes it this way. By allowing anger to fester and grow, believers can surrender space to a demonic intruder. Again, we're experiencing great blessing right now as, as a church. What is the great way that the enemy could come in and, and break us is in our unity. Anger. And so what do we do with it? What's he say? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. How do we deal with this? Be angry and do not sin. Guess what? You're going to have emotions of anger. It's going to happen. So instead of lashing out at that person, be angry and do not sin, but go to that person. Again, assume the best and seek clarification. If you're married, you know about this. <laughs> you know do not let the sun go down on your anger. You have to deal with it before you go to sleep. It festers. It grows. It becomes a cancer in there. So we deal with it. This is, a, this is a beautiful picture. You want to know how to operate as a family, as a church? You feel that anger? Humble yourself. Get over yourself. Why are you angry? It's probably selfish. 
But then go to the person humbly. You know, I, I talk about this in marriage counseling. You know, how do you speak in, in counseling or how do you speak in, in marriage? When they wrong you, you don't go, hey, you did this. You go and go, hey, when this happened, I felt this way. I, you know, it seems tender and kind of pansy, but it really works. Uh, because it's the right way to humble yourself and go, I felt this way when you did that or when this happened. And it's kind of that way. Can we humbly go to each other? And again, this goes back to trust, doesn't it? If you wronged me, but I, I can't come to you with it, it means I don't trust you. Doesn't it? I don't trust how you're going to respond or whatever that is. Or, or if I've wronged you, you need to come to me. You know, there's some trust in there that they will handle it well. That's what he's talking about. So, anger. Here's a third one. Our work. Our work. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Again, there's the trading. Stop stealing and labor well. Your work is valuable. Whatever it is you do, a stay-at-home mom, a teacher, a painter, I and mean, we can go through the list, engineer even, you know, your, your labor is valuable, extremely valuable. How do you approach it? How do you work? Colossians 3, 23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. We work well rather than stealing. Um, you know, often when we read this or we look at this, this is one of the Ten Commandments also, thou shalt not steal. We immediately just go to that's taking something that belongs to somebody else. That's grabbing the snicker bar off the, you know, the grocery store or whatever. But I think there's other ways where we steal as well. Uh, a worker, a laborer, and I think he probably has this in mind because he goes straight to, to working. A laborer who doesn't do a fair day's work, that's stealing. I mean, think about that. The person who's working and when the boss leaves, they just sit down. They're stealing. They're stealing from their employer. Or the employer, the boss, who refuses to pay a fair wage, who, who, you know, or, or won't pay overtime. These, they're stealing from their employees. How about your taxes? We get a little personal on that. Do you cheat on your taxes? That's stealing. In fact, God, and this is speaking to believers, not to the non-believer. God actually talks about us stealing at one point, stealing from him. And when is that? When we don't give back to him a portion of what he's given us. He says, you're robbing me. So he says, no longer steal. Instead of stealing, what do we do? We labor well so that we can give to those in need. Christians, we are generous people. We are generous people. We don't have that reputation. We don't. In fact, here's the thing that kind of rubs me. And when I, when I first wrote this sermon, and then I, you know, I study and I write and I study and I write, and then I'll go back. And as I went back and I read, I saw a little bit of an edge that I didn't like. And it was an edge kind of animosity toward the church as a whole and Christians because we don't have this reputation. We have a reputation of being, uh, you know, legalistic and stodgy and, and kind of angry and cheap. And by the way, I was a contractor for many years. Christians are the cheapest. They're the hardest to work for in general. Uh, that's not the way it should be. We should be the best employees, the best employers, the best people to work for, the best tippers. I, I mean, that's a silly little thing, but when I go to a restaurant, it's at least 20%. It's got to be. Tip well. Be generous. 
ready to give, ready to share. That's who we are. Rather than cheating others, the new person in Christ labors well and gives generously. You know, this isn't in my notes, but I think the Holy Spirit just put it in my mind. Why would you steal or not be generous? It's a lack of faith, isn't it? When you hoard what you have, it's because you think you need it. Well, God says don't hoard, but share. Gen- so, so keeping what, you know, hoarding is actually lack of faith. It's saying, God, I don't think you'll provide for me for tomorrow. He says, give of your first and your best. If we don't do that, it's a lack of faith. It's us saying, I don't trust you, God. I need all of this. Same with stealing, cheating on your taxes, you know, and, and I've done taxes for years. Sometimes it's easy to move a number or whatever it is. And in my mind, when I've been tempted to do that, it's, it's God saying, do you not trust me? Do you not trust me to provide? You need that extra 500 bucks, whatever. We're not cheaters. Why? Because this is not who we are in Christ. Again, we go back. We go back to what God has done for us. The first three chapters, we are blessed. We are adopted. We are given. This is who we are. So if you're in here and you're a believer, you belong to Christ, your heart wants this. You want to be this person. Imagine if we were all like this. A a, a big church, a, a big group of us all honest, telling the truth, which means sharing our sin, which also means pointing out other sin in love. That kind of relationship where we can be honest with one another, what could God do through us? What a blessing we would be to one another, generous, giving. This is what we want. Now, our temptation, our temptation when we hear this is like, okay, I'm going to go be good. And and maybe God has brought something to mind. And your temptation will be, I'm just going to go out and stop it. Well, yes, stop it. That's right. But... There's also an aspect of we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So instead of just going and trying to be moral, which leads to legalism uh, and, and guilt and then maybe pride because you do a good job, rather it's we go and we lean on Jesus. We abide in Jesus. How's your relationship with him? That's where the overflow of this morality comes from. Not go do and be good. Read in the Old Testament. There was a lot of these commands, do's and don'ts, and people were doing and, and don'ting. Um, and, Look it up. It's a word. Uh, They were doing that without a heart belonging to God. And you know what God said? He would send his prophet and say, stop it. Stop giving. I don't want it. Don't come to my temple. I don't want any of this stuff. You're doing the rules, but your heart doesn't belong to me. He wants you. He wants us. And then we want him, and, and we want to change. So we humbly submit to this. Again, don't you want to be friends with the person described here? Well, then be this person. Let Jesus change you. Let the Holy Spirit guide us to be this person. Now, there's actually one more thing. Look at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another. And what's our standard of forgiveness? It's Jesus Christ. What did you do to earn your forgiveness? Nothing. What do people have to do to earn your forgiveness? The standard is Christ. It, you know, Jesus, his disciples said, hey, how often should we forget, forgive somebody? Seven times? Jesus said, no, it should be more like 70 times seven, meaning unlimited. And here's where we, here's where I have a tendency. I'll forgive them when they ask me to forgive them. You know, they need to repent to me and I'll forgive. 
No, that, that's actually not in there at all. We are forgiving, quick to forgive, because it's who we are. You know, again, I, I like the Garth Brooks song, Do We Bury the Hatchet and Leave the Handle Sticking Out? Forgiveness is burying the hatchet all the way and then pouring concrete over top of it. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about, it's the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's forgiveness. Husbands, wives, how are we doing? Do we bring it up? I shouldn't have gone there, should I? Do we forgive? Is there a believer in this church or in another that you haven't forgiven? We need to forgive. The standard is Jesus. We forgive because we are forgiven. We have no right to hold on to those things. I am so grateful Jesus isn't holding on to anything that I've done. The new person in Christ is quick to forgive, remembering that they are forgiven because of God's grace. So what has God shown you today? Has the Holy Spirit, as we touched on any of these, did any of these prick you a little bit? Did you get uncomfortable? Good. Good. Guess what? God's grace is complete. He wants to help you. He wants to save you from that. He's already saved you from that sin. But now he wants to help change you. He wants to help change us. Surrender to him. We're going to close in worship. We don't have communion today. But, but maybe you need to just sit and pray a little bit. That's okay. We're going to have our prayer responders. They're going to have big name tags on the back. Maybe you need to go ask them to pray with you. Our prayer wall is over here, always available. Come give a prayer to him. But if God has revealed something to you now as we worship, commit to giving that to him and letting him change us. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, thank you for the clarity of Scripture, the clarity of, of, of anger, uh, that, that we can be angry, but we don't have to sin in our anger. We don't have to bash somebody else or slander somebody else or try and talk them down. But rather, God, we can build up. We can encourage. It's who we are. It's how you've made us to be. And I pray that we would surrender to you. I'm so excited, Jesus, for, for this church and the people in here. These are great people. Well, they're just so-so, but you're great <laughs> in and through us. And God, I just thank you for that. We are extremely blessed. And I ask that you would protect us, that, that there would be no anger, that there would be no place for the devil among us. In our families, God, I pray for our marriages and our families. Let, the, let us not give a place for the devil to come between husbands and wives, parents and kids. Please, lead us your way. We need humility right now. Holy Spirit, there's some of us in here, we're fighting it right now. We're, we're raising our shell a little bit. We need humility. We need to feel your grace and your forgiveness. And we need to humbly maybe commit to speak to somebody else, to confess our sin to somebody else, confess our bitterness, our anger, and receive their forgiveness, whatever it is. Holy Spirit, I ask that we would surrender to you, let you change us. In Jesus' name, amen.